Mark 6, 30 to 56, which you can find on page 491 in your Bibles. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw they were going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said in a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate of the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever he heard, they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick on the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, were made well. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, I don't know if you all realize this, but this passage, the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is the only miracle other than the resurrection that shows up in all four of the Gospels. And that's understandable. I think this is a big one, you know, feeding 5,000 people from just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish is a big deal. Um, but the reason why it's in all four Gospels, I don't think is simply because of the size of the miracle. I think it is about the meaning. Uh, what this miracle teaches us about who Jesus is, right? That's what we're talking about this month as we study the Gospel of Mark. Who is Jesus? This miracle, I think, is particularly crucial for our understanding. 
Um, in fact, I think if we, if we miss the point of this one, if we don't get what's going on in the feeding of the 5,000, we are likely to miss all that Jesus came to teach and all that he came to do. Uh, and maybe that sounds like hyperbole. Maybe that sounds like I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's almost exactly what Mark says here. Uh, you know, there's two miracles we read about, feeding the 5,000 and then Jesus walking on water. And after Jesus walks on water and they're, they're confused and they don't understand, it says, he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. He says the reason they don't understand the walking on water is because they didn't understand about the loaves. So what were they missing? Well, that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to figure that out. I want us to look at the things that the disciples didn't see so that maybe we can better understand Jesus. And so those three things this morning, the three things that, that the disciples missed, they did not understand first the sufficiency of Jesus. They didn't understand the sufficiency of Jesus. Secondly, they did not understand the power that was in their weakness. They didn't understand the power that was in their weakness. And finally, they did not understand the power of Christ's weakness. So they didn't get the power in their weakness, and they didn't get the power in Christ's weakness. So that's how we're going to go. That's where we're going to start. But let's just look at this story for a moment. Um, the story begins with the disciples. They have just recently returned from a very powerful and effective time of ministry, and they're pretty tired. And so Jesus, he gives them an instruction. He says, you guys should, we need to go off to a desolate place and get some rest. And the story tells us that as they start to go, as they get in the boat to sail across the sea, the crowd sees them. And they start to follow them. And they start to run alongside of them. And they try to beat them to where they're going to go to rest. And they do. They beat them. And when Jesus and the disciples get on the shore, instead of being frustrated that there has to be more ministry now, it says that Jesus has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. I hope you see the picture. It actually is a pretty vivid image that these people are like sheep without a shepherd. Can you picture it, right? It says they're in a big green grassy field. These are thousands of people and they're running alongside of this river, pushing into each other, bumping each other, trying to get somewhere that they don't even really know where it is. You can see this, uh, this picture that this crowd is, is like a bunch of animals. They don't know what they're doing or where they're going. And so Jesus begins to teach them. And that's significant. We think about this miracle, first of all, as a miracle of feeding. We think it's about food. But at the center, the, the reason this had to happen was because Jesus was teaching. He was teaching for so long that the hours rolled by because he knew the thing they needed most was truth. The thing that made these people like sheep without a shepherd, the thing they needed to hear was truth. And I think that's a very relatable situation. In our culture today, you, you hear a lot of people talking now about how we are in a post-truth society. Have you seen this? I think it's on the cover of a, a magazine that's in my bathroom right now. <laughs> but we are in a post-truth society. We're rudderless. We live in a 
culture where we're unwilling to define the difference between right and wrong. And maybe not just unwilling. I think in some degree we're incapable of it. I go to this uh, philosophy uh, discussion group pretty regularly. And the last time that we went, uh, it's mostly non-believers. And the subject was, is it okay to do bad things for a good cause? You know, we always have a bunch of fun. It was good conversation. We, we had a good time together. But the conversation didn't go very far. Because we figured out pretty quickly, we couldn't agree on the terms. We couldn't figure out what a bad thing was apart from murdering people. We all agreed you shouldn't murder people. And we couldn't agree what a good cause was. We have developed this this culture where we associate declarations of truth as judgmental, as self-righteous, as closed-minded. The people who tell people what they should believe and how they should live, those are, you know, those are the dictators. And maybe there's good reasons why we feel that way. We've seen, there's a lot of examples in history of, of people using their ideologies, using these absolute truths to, to do terrible things. That's kind of what's going on with ISIS right now, right? Enforcing worldviews on other people. But in our passage today, Jesus' motivation for declaring truth is not to overpower people. His motivation is not to manipulate us. It says it's compassion. He knows that while truth claims can be abused, while people can do bad things with them, without truth, we are like animals. We are like sheep who have no shepherd. We're like a boat with no rudder. We're tossed around by by every different idea, and we don't know where to go. And so Jesus comes first to proclaim a message of truth. It's a message that he knows unless the world hears it, they will be utterly lost, and ultimately they'll be destroyed. And that is not cruel. It's the opposite, right? It would be cruel not to tell people the truth. If it's the case that, that, that they need to hear this message, it would be cruel not to share it with them. And that message that he was sharing is the one Mark has shown us already. It's the message that we are supposed to be sharing. It's a very simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so Jesus starts to teach. And as he teaches... The crowd is engrossed. They're sucked in. They stick around. They want to hear what he has to say all the way up through dinner time. (laughs) And look, I am impressed by that. (laughs) I stand up here, and I'm going to preach for like 30, 35 minutes. And look, I know the look in your eyes at 1145. (laughs) You guys are already mentally like getting in line at Chilicates. And and, and I know if I don't wrap up, nobody's going to stick around. (laughs) You guys are going to wait hours to hear what I have to say. But these people don't want to leave. And all of a sudden, there's a crisis at hand. Now, maybe you don't think it's a crisis. Hungry people. Maybe you have a sanitized picture of this scene in your mind of a bunch of mature adults sitting patiently, listening to a teacher, maybe occasionally checking their watch to see what time it is. 
But this is not the picture that Mark's trying to paint. This is a massive crowd of people, thousands of people out past dinner time, families of people with their kids. And look, I can assure you that if you are out past five with kids, even if you have plenty of food, this is not a quiet scene. This is a, this is a mild form of torture, right? These, these people are, are hungry. And you know, 5,000 people, that was a bigger crowd than most of the nearby towns. And so the disciples hear this. They see this. And they're concerned. And so in verse 34, it tells us that they come to Jesus. And he says, when it grew late, his disciples came and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. We see right here from this urging, from this response of the disciples, that their lives at this point are characterized by a lack of faith. At this point, the disciples have no idea that Jesus is even able to provide for these people. It doesn't cross their minds. That's what happens here. It's the same thing that happens in the boat a few moments later when they're, when they're afraid for their lives because Jesus isn't right at hand. The disciples are showing us yet again that they still have no clue who Jesus really is. They completely underestimate him. They underestimate his power. They underestimate his sufficiency. And that's kind of always where they are, right? It seems like they find themselves again and again in these hopeless situations where they don't know what to do. And in fact, they are right at the heart of God's provision and power. They are exactly where God wants them to be. And so Mark wants us to see that. Mark wants us to notice that their core failure here is one of unbelief. And that's why they respond this way. That's why they come up with this very rational idea. Send them away. Send them away. And it's not just them. In case you're feeling a little bit self-righteous about how dumb the disciples are in all these stories, let me just remind you that, that the same Jesus that they're dealing with that's about to feed 5,000 people is the same Jesus who is the head of the church. He is the same Jesus who is at work in this congregation. It's the, the spirit of that living God that is in work, at, at work in all of us as people. And yet, how often do we come to these moments where we see some obstacle and we respond, send them away? We see some obstacle and we come up with this same kind of faithless rationalism to deal with what lies ahead. We look at our lives and we see that sin that we're struggling with and we say, my struggle it's too great. It's gone on too long. The thing I'm dealing with is it's too hard. God can't do anything for me. Or what about we look at the crisis, the crises that are happening in the world? We look at this refugee situation and we say, there's too many. 
The problem is too big. Send them away. Send them to some other church, some other place where there's more resources to deal with it. Or we just look down the block at our unbelieving neighbor and we say, his heart is too hard. She is too far away. It's not even worth trying. Send them away. Just like these disciples. I think the church lives like defeated, powerless, hopeless people. We live like people who don't realize that we have the living God present with us right at hand. We think we have this small and insufficient and incapable Jesus, but we don't. And I hope you see that as we walk into the next part of the story. As Jesus grabs this loaf of bread and blesses it, this is a reminder to us today that we serve a God who is far more able than we think. A God who, Paul says, is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think or even imagine. That's our God. And as he breaks this bread and as he multiplies it, it's a challenge for us to lay down that attitude, to lay down that pessimism and be willing to follow him into obstacles that just seem too big. So that's point number one. These men, they, they don't understand the sufficiency of Jesus. And secondly, they don't understand the power that's in their weakness. So as the story goes on, it says, Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So the disciples, they are totally confused when Jesus tells them to go feed people. They say, are we supposed to to get eight months' wages and feed these people? In the Gospel of John, it says that that much money wouldn't have been enough even to give everyone just a little bit of food. They don't see how it's possible. Even the, the suggestion that they feed him seems impossible, and it seems like they're more than a little afraid. They're afraid of what Jesus might be asking them to do. Do you want us to give all this money? We don't even have that much money. What do you want us to do here? Well, I think this is a, a great picture. This is a very honest picture of what it looks like for us to be disciples of Jesus. In other words, if you follow Jesus, eventually you're going to find yourself here. If you are really following Jesus, sooner or later, he is going to call you into some situation that is overwhelming. He's going to bring you into a scenario that's going to require your faith, and he's not going to tell you the outcome. He's not going to show you how everything's going to work out. And I know that there's some people in this room who, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know there's some people who are sitting in this room this morning, and the only reason you're here is because God has called you to be here at this church. Some of you have given up much more comfortable options. <laughs> You've given up paychecks, cheaper housing. You've given up being near family because God's called you to be here. And when he did that, he probably didn't hand you a budget and say, here's how it's all going to work out. 
Here's why this is going to be comfortable and easy and doable for you. Or another example, just last week, Melissa and I, we were at a missions conference uh, at, at a very large church that has missionaries from, from all over the globe. And they had one guy come in uh, who was ministering in that ISIS territory in the Middle East. And this man was sharing his life story that God had called him to faith in the midst of an entirely Muslim country and an entirely Muslim family. And that when he came to faith, his family disowned him. That he literally became homeless as a teenager. And he had no place to go. But of course, I met him at this missions conference decades later, and his testimony was the story that through that time, God had used him to be a witness for Christ, to set up this ministry, reaching people in a way probably no one else could. And he has seen hundreds of people come to faith, including most of his entire family. The call to follow Christ is a call to take up your cross and follow me. When Jesus says follow, he says, I want you to follow into situations where you are outmatched. Situations where you don't understand how it's going to work out. Situations that might end in your death. And here the disciples, thankfully, make the right move. They obey this simple instruction that Jesus gives them. They go and they find some bread. They find five measly loaves of bread and two fish to feed 5,000 people at least. And Jesus, he takes this little meal and he blesses it and he hands it out to him. Now I told you that this miracle is one of the only ones that shows up in all four Gospels and that the reason for that is because of its significance and its meaning. But I also think the reason it shows up in all four is because of the way it got carried out. Because the disciples who passed down these stories and who recorded some of these stories, they were eyewitnesses. They saw every single miracle that Jesus did firsthand. But this miracle took place in their hands. Jesus breaks this bread and gives it out to them. And they head out to this crowd and they start breaking it and passing it out. And breaking it and passing it out. And breaking it and passing it out. And it just doesn't end. It just keeps going, and it keeps going. I can't imagine what that would be like. These disciples realized that he had taken these little useless pieces of bread that they had, and they, he made it into more than enough. And that's the second principle we need to see in this miracle. The first thing is that Jesus calls us to those impossible situations, those places where we seem ill-equipped and incapable. But secondly, when he does that, he often uses our weaknesses to show his strength. He uses our inadequacy to show his adequacy. He uses our insufficiency to show us his sufficiency. You know this, right? It's easy to be faithful when you know how things are going to work out. It's easy to be faithful when you're comfortable. It's easy to be faithful in the places where you feel well-equipped. You ever read the Babylon Bee? It's that fake Christian news site. It had an article once that was said, everything local man feels led to do, 
he coincidentally really likes. <laughs> it's easy to be a follower of Jesus like that, to just do the things you like, to go to the places where you know you'll do pretty well. It's easy to do the stuff we'd probably already do anyway. But it's in these places of weakness where the Lord really shows up. It's in these places of weakness where the Lord really shows up and he ministers through us. And I imagine that maybe some of you here this morning are in this situation. Maybe you've come up to one of these moments where you are afraid to follow God where he's calling you. Maybe there is some job that you could take. Maybe there's some opportunity to serve in the church. Maybe there's a vacancy that you could fill. Maybe there's a relationship in your life where you're being called to share the gospel. But you don't do it. But you don't go. Because you don't think you can. You don't think you have enough. Well, you're right. You can't. And you don't have enough. And you aren't equipped. But he can. And that's the point. Jesus can. He takes those little weak scraps of our talents and our skills. He takes our little tiny pieces of, of patience and, and compassion. He takes our, our poor vocabulary <laughs> and our, our bad communication skills, and he multiplies it. <laughs> and he uses it to minister to the people around you. He uses your ordinary and unspectacular means to do miraculous and amazing things. That's what's so great about this. That's what's so amazing about being a disciple of Jesus. It's because it's in those places, it's in those moments of weakness that we often end up finding our most effective ministries. Do you know what I'm talking about? In those places of weakness, you, you end up finding out you're more effective than you ever thought you would be. Why is that? Well, I think it's because those are the moments when you're forced to stop relying on yourself. Those are the places where you start to get desperate for God to show up and do something. It's the way it's been for me. Some of the most effective, some of the most fruitful times in my own ministry have not been those times where I go in confident in my own ability, but it's when I go in desperate and dependent. Those times of desperation, those are the times when we become aware of what's all, we're always the reality. Those times of weakness are, are the times when we have to deal with, with what is true, what God says, that apart from me, you can do nothing. When we are with Christ, there is a great power in our weakness. There's a great power in our weakness. Now, the disciples, they didn't totally get that yet. But here they got a great lesson. Finally, uh, the third thing the disciples were missing here was not just the power in their own weakness, but they didn't understand the power of Christ's weakness. Right? The first thing we talked about, one of their main issues here was that they are constantly underestimating Jesus' power. Whether it's feeding the crowd or whether it's sailing a boat through a storm, 
they are always assuming that the odds are too great and they're afraid that, that Jesus is not going to be there for them, that Jesus isn't going to be able to provide when they really need it. It seems like it, it doesn't matter what they see. It doesn't matter how many miracles. It doesn't matter if the storms are stilled. It's still not enough. How do they keep making that mistake? How, why are they so slow to connect these dots? Why can't they just figure out who Jesus really is? Well, at the end of this miracle, uh, of this feeding miracle, there is a bunch of food left over. Baskets and baskets of food left over. But there's also this scene of confusion. You can read about it in verse 45. It says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. So even though there's all this food, even though they've been there for hours and hours, all of a sudden when this is over, he, he immediately sends the disciples out and he, he shoos the crowds away. And Mark doesn't tell us why that happened, but John tells us that in that moment, Jesus perceived that the crowd was about to force him to become the king. That after seeing this thing take place, they, had, they were taking it upon themselves to push him into the, a, a position of government leadership. And instead of indulging them, he sends them away. He sends everybody away, and he goes off by himself to pray. And I think that event has a lot to do with why the disciples keep missing him. It's that constant rejection of worldly power that keeps throwing the disciples off course. That's why they're still not sure that he really is the Messiah, even though they see time and time again that he can do these amazing and miraculous things that no other person has ever been able to do. It's because Jesus is still too weak for them. The disciples, as well as the Jewish people, have been waiting for a Messiah. They've been waiting for someone who would come and, and feed the people, who would come and provide for the people. But not only that, a Messiah who would come and, and conquer the government, who would bring them into a new time of, of prosperity and, and freedom. They were expecting power, a certain kind of power. But instead, they keep seeing this humility. And they keep seeing this rejection of power. They see this need to, to get away and to rest all the time. They're confused by his weakness. So the disciples, they can't figure out that Jesus is God because they are so painfully aware of the fact that Jesus is a man. He's just a regular man. He was a man who needed rest, who got exhausted. He was a man who felt the burden of his calling and sometimes needed to retreat and pray. But of course, we know from reading the gospel, the thing that was confusing them here is actually the key to the power of the gospel. This miracle where Jesus feeds 5,000, it's like a big, giant, neon sign of Jesus saying, I am God. He is literally doing the things that God does throughout the Old Testament. He is feeding people manna in the wilderness. 
He is doing the one thing that over and over and over again in the Old Testament, it declares God does. He gives the hungry food to eat. And then when Jesus is walking on the water, there's that line, I don't know if you heard it, that Jesus intended to pass them by. It's a callback to to Exodus of the glory of God passing by Moses. As he's walking on top of the water, you kind of expect him to say, guys, what more do I need to do here? What's it going to take? Jesus wants them to discover who he is. But they don't, because they are Jewish men. And if they know anything, they know that God is not a man. And of course, that's what we come to understand by the end of this book. The glory of the gospel is wrapped up in that reality that Jesus is both, that he is fully God and he is fully man. That he is the almighty God. He is that powerful Messiah who had come to free them, but but from their real enemy. Not from poverty or hunger. Not from the government. But from sin and death. And the only way he could do that was by becoming one of us. By dwelling in our weakness. By taking on our flesh and doing that one thing that we couldn't do. Enduring temptation without sin. And standing in our place on the cross as our substitute. Paying that penalty that we owed for our sin once and for all. And here's what that means for us. If that gospel message is true, then it means pretty simply that that the reason we can follow God in our weakness, the reason why we can confidently head into areas where we feel outmatched and overwhelmed is because we have a Savior who's gone ahead of us. We have a Savior who has already faced the worst-case scenario for us. You see, our Jesus was crushed by his enemy. He was separated from God. And because of that, we know that the conquering strength was in that weakness. His conquering strength, his weakness, lets us be certain that we can follow him. We can follow him to failure. We can even follow him to death. And if that's the case, still nothing can separate us from the power and the provision and the victory of our God. Let's pray. Lord, I am grateful uh, for your miraculous provision for your people, not only in this moment, but in all of our lives. Lord, I I thank you that, that you have taken something irredeemable and redeemed it by your blood. And Lord, now you choose to use us, your people, as as vessels for your mission. That you call us into places that seem overwhelming. And Lord, time and time again, you use us in ways that we couldn't imagine. And so Lord, this morning I want to pray for those who are, are 
feeling uncertain, who are fearful that they shouldn't go forward because they worry you won't provide. Father, I pray that you would enable us to move forward in faith, that we would trust you, that we would take big risks, that we would believe that being faithful to your call is better than the comfort of this world. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who may not have heard your call, who may not know you at all. Maybe the largest obstacle facing them is just the call to repent and believe. Father, would you give them the assurance that only comes through Christ? Lord, would you call us to surrender, knowing that you've taken the punishment and the penalty and the risk for us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.